Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. An international week in concussion be damned. It's another Q&A pod. So welcome to Heart and Hand Rangers Podcast, my name is David Edgar, I am your host and this week I am literally your guest because uh, during International Week, uh, after we've all recovered from the excitement of uh, of the match the night before, that we then, as you know, it's becoming traditional now, you guys uh, write in with quick write in. Christ uh, and get a blue Peter badge. You guys uh, send in through the wonders of social media questions to me, and uh, I'll do my very best to answer as many of them as possible with a fantastic response. The response seems to be growing, and I kind of thought that the more of these that we did, the less questions there would be because I'd answered them, but uh, apparently not. And credit to you for several innovative questions. I wish there was uh, quite this much artistry on the pitch at times uh, and uh, you, you never fail to impress me. Now I've noticed on a few podcasts I listen to because uh, you know I'm not just a, a content provider mm-hmm. um, but I also love podcasts myself. That's why, why I wanted to get into it in the first place and I've noticed that there's a thing for uh, people who, who are on podcasts, especially established podcasts and you know without being arrogant I like to think that's what we are now that they sometimes kind of moan a little bit. And obviously that's not something I would want to do on this pod and take up your time. But on top of the concussion that I spoke about earlier this week, I now also have a frigging cold. So if my responses are somewhat short-tempered uh, to any of these questions, then you'll you'll know why. But uh, bear with me, I'm doing my best. And uh, you, you know these, these things in films, you see the, 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 the guy go, you know, I don't want your sympathy. I, I do, I, I do. Want, want your sympathy, so you know, please, please send it. Also, gifts, anything along those lines. But uh, enough about that. Let's let's crack on with the show. First question comes to us from uh, Shota Di- Shota Disco Shoes on Twitter. Um, although he's got Shota's Disco Shoes, which is correct, 
but in his handle, Shota, you've only got Shota disco shoes. That make a lot of sense. Just, just saying. Um, what was the club's thinking behind the aggressive cost cutting of 0304 and 0506? Was it purely financial, or did Bain think the signings were of sufficient quality? Uh, what was the full extent of Murray's asset stripping, and what was the biggest genuine signing we missed out on? Okay, one at a time. The aggressive cost cutting of 0304 and 05. 06, was it purely financial? Yes, it was. Um, Murray knew for years what was going to happen to Rangers, and uh, I know he likes to peddle this myth that 2008, it became clear that after the financial crisis and the property thing, that we were in trouble, that he knew 2002, um, when he first stepped away from the club. The reason that it happened in the two summers that you mentioned was because we'd been successful the year before. And the board figured that they couldn't really cost cut or, or cut the squad down in a period where we hadn't won anything. But when we had trophies in the cabinet, they felt they could kind of get away with it. I should point out that when I say that he knew it was coming, I don't think he knew that, obviously, the extent and the scale of what happened to us would happen to us. I don't think any of us believed that up until about... I mean, I, I used to warn against it um, from about 2009 when it hit me that this could happen, but it was a long journey even for me as a sort of cynic and, and other people in the trust to get there. It was a long journey, but then we realised the scale of what could happen. But Murray it never really believed. So even as far back as 2002, he knew that we legitimately couldn't trade out of an £80 million debt with the money that was in Scottish football and the way that uh, it was going. And also the main competitive. That that was the thing. I mean, he could have cut us right to the bone and we'd finish you know, fourth every year, but he didn't want to do that. And politically he couldn't. And his own ego wouldn't allow us to, to do that. But he was aware that the circumstances were that Rangers were in a you know a, a hugely hugely dangerous fiscal position, so the reason that there there were these massive cost cutting sprees was exactly that that we'd had successful seasons uh, the, the the seasons before obviously with the treble and then in fact you know both helicopter Sundays uh, that they felt that the high was such that they could do it then and then if we had a bad season well okay but it was following on from from a very memorable season and and that was the the reasoning behind it and Murray being an inveterate gambler he although I say you know, he kind of knew what was coming he knew on one level but you know we all have the ability for double think in our lives uh, it's part of football you know it's part of faith it's part logic tells you one thing but your heart tells you another he, he thought you know all it would take would be one good run all it would take would be that's him Send it. Sorry, if this gets cut short, that's that's Murray has has heard that I'm talking about him. Uh, they're gone now. I've slipped them. Um, but he felt, you know, one star player coming through or a batch of signings that could be sold on at a price, something would fall for him. And that that was all. That was the way Murray ran his business, and it was successful for many years when he had the the financial backing from um, at the time um, H Boss or Bank of Scotland originally then H Boss. And he felt that if he could just keep it going long enough, something would happen that it would turn. And of course, very rarely does that happen. And it's a classic gambler's. It's a classic gambler's trick of you know my luck will turn, and I only need one good hand, and it will change everything around. And of course, you know, very, 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 very rarely does does life work out like that. Did Bain think the signings were of sufficient quality? No, he didn't. Privately, he would admit that. Uh, he thought that they were as good as could have been achieved on the budget that was available. And that led to problems with 
Paul Le Guin, for example, one of the reasons that Le Guin was basically wanting out from about day 12 was a budget was promised to him and not delivered. And put it like this, when he arrived to, to take charge of Rangers and try and revamp the club, Paul Le Guin didn't expect to be bringing in three players from uh, Austria-Vienna, copyright uh, Ian Crocker. He really didn't think that, that that was the the level he'd be operating at. He didn't think he'd be out buying £10 million players either, but the budget was significantly less. And it is always interesting to see. I mean, on some levels, I think that the way that it panned out, he was always doomed to fail because, as I say, things like the budget annoyed him. And he underrated Scottish football, Paul Le Guin, then the culture at the club at the time. But it would have been interesting had he been given the money that was then given to Walter uh, in, in the January. And it, it was strange that it was found then because Murray was in love with Le Guin when he got him. He was so proud of himself for delivering him, as he should have been because it was a coup to get him. So I, I was always surprised then that he got him, went to all the trouble because he really had to woo him and he did. And he went to all the trouble of getting him and, you know, persuading him and getting him in and, and delivering him. And, you know, he, he was the cock of the walk and and everybody was, was pleased with him. You know, the the fans were, were over the moon with it. And then he gave him three million to, to spend on a team that, that desperately needed revamped. And, and I never really got that. And as for Big Ek, you know, it's an interesting thing for his career. Had he gone south after that treble, after that 18 months, before his team was ripped up, uh, his stock would never have been higher and you wonder at what kind of job he could have wandered into down there because, you know, having turned round Rangers on a budget, won five trophies at five, completely turned it round against Celtic, you wonder what his stock would have been but they sold his team out from under him and one of Eck's problems, and it's continued throughout his career is that Eck signs names rather than players so Austinstad's a great example of that. To Eck, an agent offers him Austinstad, and Eck would go, oh, Egil Austinstad, you know, I remember him at Southampton. And he, he would often sign, and he still did, he, he did it in England as well. Um, he, he would sign a player based on his name rather than what that player currently was. And of course, there's a difference between signing an Egil Austinstad when he's flying high at Southampton and an Egil Austinstad four years later after his confidence has been completely destroyed and he's lost all form and touch and has and, and now become a bit of a journeyman. And obviously that particular team, the the one that had um, him, had Nuno Capuccio, who of course had lodged the next memory from, from his performances against Celtic three years before, and uh, Emerson, who again, at that time, you're looking at maybe five or six years after the impact he had at Middlesbrough. So... I think the, the the combination of things, Eck was happy enough because he was replacing these players with names, but he wasn't replacing them with, with commensurate ability. Because, you know, on paper, if you look at their careers and you've got Neil McCann and Nuno Capuccio, you could argue you're making an upgrade with Nuno Capuccio, but not at that time. Uh, that, that that wasn't the case. And obviously we saw that as as that season as that season progressed. What was the full extent of Murray's asset stripping? Well, basically, if it wasn't nailed down, by the end of it, we didn't own it. And things like catering, um, things like the strips, because Rangers Retail under Nick Peel, when he was director, made a fortune. It really did. And we flogged it to um, Dave Whelan at JGB Sports for a decent amount. I mean, compared to, <laughs> compared to what we were getting off Sports Direct, it was you know a lottery win. But... It was because it was up front and it basically, although we got all the money in one go, it then halved 
the amount of income that we had. And you can, if you sell a long-term in- income street in one go, it's never a good sign because, yeah, you get the cash uh, into the business, but then you know, what do you do in the future when there's no money coming in or very little money coming in? So things like that, the catering, I mean, that, that's shocking. Clubs should own that. It shouldn't be subcontracted out, you know. It should be, or at least it should be in partnership and the clubs should be making a fortune from it. And... Anything that was was that could be put into the Murray Empire, you know, call handling etc., did go into the Murray Empire, and and it's a nice myth that people have in their head. And sometimes I actually feel that I'm not sure I want to, I want to destroy it for them anymore because they comfort themselves so much with the idea of the benevolent Godfather David Murray. But he made more money at Rangers than he ever put in, and that is a fact. And the idea that he. The thing people refer to is, well, he put fifty million in, and like, no, he moved fifty million on paper in and around, and then later when it crashed, you know, no money came out of David Murray's bank account into Rangers. You know, it was a case of some financial engineering. It didn't, it didn't lead anywhere. Um, what was the biggest genuine signing we missed out on? The ones that spring to mind, I've mentioned before, obviously, Joey Barton, that Murray was convinced he was he was signing, but just missed out for the fact paper. Now, before my time and. He told me that, so whether it is true or not, I can't say, but he told me that players that we missed out on was Eric Backer um, from Leeds United, who people may remember was part of that really good team that they had around about the turn of the century. Uh, Hacken Yakin is a Swiss internationally talented playmaker who he brought over for a match. Um, actually, we got really turned over badly at Parkhead and played awfully and they had they had him in the stand as a sort of sop and then three days later the deal broke down and I was never quite sure if it was a case of they brought him over just in case and then you know well that'll get me through the next few days he was very good at managing things like that um but uh, those were the kind of uh, the main two and he also mentioned from back in the 90s Tony Yeboah we could have had Tony Yeboah before he went to Leeds United so a couple of Leeds connections there so they're, they're the kind of biggest names that jump out at me there were others but those are the ones that I can remember off the top of my head uh, RFC 99 have you had any experience with King or other shareholders better than David Murray as owners or do we need a new board uh, it's a tough one because you I haven't had a lot of experience with Dave King and it was a while ago a long time ago so it was a brief interaction so not really enough to form and certainly not now because people change and you know, I've, I've changed dramatically over that 10 year period so I don't don't think it would be fair to say that he, he absolutely hasn't Um He's not a gambler the way Murray was, and the difference between the two of them, the main one, as I would say, is that David Murray wanted to be loved, and Dave King could not give a fuck about whether he's loved or not. So I would say that that's that's probably the main the main difference between the two. Uh, they both have good intentions, so it, it, it's hard. Where you get people who, and you see it all over England at the moment, that you've got guys who are club owners and they could not care less about the club you know they, 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 they'll give you a public face but they're there to do a specific task make money or you know some clubs in Europe launder players through and so the Rangers board currently has good intentions you can then start to question the ability and only time will tell about whether they do a good job I'd say they're better absolutely I'd say they're better than money because they won't take the risks that he did for better or for worse they won't take the risks and we can't really afford someone who is, as I say, addicted to, to, to gambling. Because the problem with someone like that is they only need to get it wrong once. And Murray's enormous, big, crushing F-up 
was the obviously the the EBTs, whereas I think other uh, you know, you can get 99 out of 100 gambles right, and if one goes wrong and it's a big one or the wrong one, then there's no comeback from it. After the abuse I got, by the way, in the last Q&A for drinking Limeade, I have switched to Vimto, so I hope that that's, that's a bit stauncher. Uh, the Rangers family, well, all of it. Uh, the Rangers family asks, uh, Hi, David, I hope you take this question during the international break. My question is, are you a Rangers supporter? Uh, they might be on to me now. No, this has been a long-term, deep undercover. Uh, and, and wait till you see the expose that I'm going to do for this. Uh, it's going to, honestly, it's going to make Mark Daly look like Alan Partridge when I'm done. Um, but, I, I mean, I think I've convinced a lot of people, but well done for being on to me. Uh, but, yeah, wasn't that brilliant? Are you a Rangers supporter? Just shows your mentality. You can have all the money in the world. You can have a moustache that, that resembles, you know, a... A, a, a late, oh, sorry, a, a, a late nineteenth century, early twentieth century um, overlord of a country, and you you still clutch at that straw when you're in trouble. What an absolute fud cake! Um, RFC Amsterdamer, have you ever been literally brought to tears of joy, sadness during your time supporting the club? Etihad had pre UEFA final for me. The nearest I ever got was that moment when the teams came out the tunnel, and, and I did well up at that one. Um, but apart from that, no, not really, because uh, we, I, I don't really cry when I'm happy. I, I've never been a tears of joy guy. Um, but I, 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 and when we lose, generally speaking, I don't get sad, I get angry. And I think that that's very much a Rangers thing, that we don't tend to start feeling sorry for ourselves or to, you know, look to, to go, oh, it's a sin or, or everyone's against us. We tend to get angry. And at our own team, if they have fucked up, we will say, you know, this is your fault. Um, and we also, I think, you know, if, if it was a referee, fine, we can, can blame very, you know, rarely do we do that. We might say that the referee had an influence but if we are to blame for losing a match we will blame our own we don't look for external excuses and I really really despise these arseholes at um, football matches who cry it's just a desperate attempt to to get on the television um, after their team loses and all it is is is, is porn for the it's just fodder for the opposition fan if, if you know you, you've lost a football match you're crying and also you know get get a grip, you know. But yeah, the, the, I would say that pre-UEFA, when they, when they came on at the park, when I got in and I saw it and, you know, they had the huge, you know, the banners, uh, the kind of air, what do you call them? Airship, they're not airships, but you know what I mean, the kind of flying, floating banner things. Uh, blimps, that's, that's what you call them. No dingwall joke coming there, but um, I saw that and then the team's warming up and you realised that, because it was a beautiful sunny night and growing up, where you would watch the 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 kind of the, the European Cup finals at the end of the season and they would generally be glorious sunny nights and spectacular and to see Rangers involved in one of these and realise you know the whole football world is watching this match uh, that that was pretty pretty close and also I was very drunk so I mean that that you know obviously helped. Uh, Deej, apart from Messi, we have an open checkbook for a Bosman contract in January. Who would you take? Well, apart from the top two, obviously, and there is that gap, Messi and Ronaldo. I think Dan Egan would, would be the obvious one because he's a proven track record of arriving in January and delivering trophies to Rangers. So if Dan is available, he would be the one I would look at. Um, failing that, if, if Dan isn't isn't available, um, the one I would probably go for uh, is Mauro Icardi. 
um, from Inter Milan, who I love. And and there are, you know, better players in the world, absolutely, extend that. But he, he is up there, and he, fantastic goal scorer. Uh, nutter as well, which I think helps. Um, you always have to admire that. A, a genuine, proper head case of which the Italians are, I think, the undisputed man. Maybe, maybe... South Americans, um, because more countries there, obviously, but uh, in European terms, for proper football nutcases, I think that that Italy are hard to beat. But Icardi's got the lot. Good in the air, great movement, great touch, holds the ball up well, brings others into play, a deadly finisher, and that cocky, um, we would call it Gallus streak. Uh, and I, I really admire that. So he would be my one. Uh, and also, he's gorgeous. I mean, honestly, you would love him. Um, Bruce Burns Hi David I've listened to the pod since the beginning Thank you And distinctly remember you threatening to stop production of the show Towards uh, the end of every season But recently it seems H&H has gone from strength to strength What changed? Um, <laughs> threatening makes it sound as I was doing it for that I never was I just I always ran out of steam Because At the time When we were doing it Um I was working full time and you had to do it and organise it and when we first started it in particular the recording of it was such a laborious process just because of the technology that was available at the time to do it that it was such a pain in the hole and I mean you physically had to get everybody together um, to do it and then so you had to you know a lot of the time you had to arrive at, at the time when we first started it was at our producer's house producer Chris and you would turn up there and we would, you know, have to make your notes through the day, do the pod. I would then go home and have to edit it. And again, at the time, the software wasn't great for doing that. And I wasn't obviously as experienced at doing it. So you would then do that. It would then get uploaded. It just, I mean, it, it took a day. It genuinely did take, in terms of man hours, it took a day to do it. And I, I just got... At the end of every year, I was knackered, and I would just go, "Ah, that that that'll be me. That'll be me done now." Um, and on top of that, that was coming off the off the trust. I, if something's supposed to be fun, and it isn't fun, then why would you do it? And that's that's been my approach to, to absolutely everything in life, including marriages, and. I think that the, there were times where it was just such such a dream, but then um, I became you know, really quite ill a couple of years ago, and the pod took what turned out to be uh, a kind of three month hiatus that was unexpected. And during that time, as I recovered, um, I began to miss it, and I sort of realised, well, you know, I, I I do enjoy doing that, and when we're doing it in a way that's fun, and I sort of changed the way that we delivered it in terms of the way we recorded it. And, and you guys were a huge help because you crowdfunded. Uh, we, we did a crowdfunding for new equipment and you guys stepped up and we were able to buy new equipment. And now the whole process is compressed. And, of course, advances in technology. Um, things move so quickly now that even in the short lifespan of the pod, which is seven years, which in real terms is, is nothing, but um, we, we are able to do it so much more quickly now. And... I think we're getting good at it. <laughs> it's taken a long time. But I think we're beginning to know what we're doing. As for this year, uh, in March this year, uh, I took voluntary redundancy from, from the job that I had. And my wife um, 
uh, she had run her own business for a couple of years and got it to it's, it's kind of it's in a good place now but she wanted to go back to what she does for a living which is a management consultancy so obviously that then um you know because yeah i married well you know management consultant and uh she then said well if you want to go in and try and push the pod up a level because i'd spoken about it for years but i just genuinely did not have the time and now i have the time to do it as part of being a kind of full-time doggy daddy and her her business dog's body but it means that the ideas that i have instead of just going i'd love to do that but and then just because you do you fall back into doing what you've always done so yeah i've got this idea for a pod or you know i can just do what i know will work it'll be 40 minutes i'll battle through it boom and we, we've been able to do more we've been able to do more episodes we've been able to do more ideas and it's just because i've got more time to do it um so that that's the plan and not giving anything away the next step for the pod is going to be to, to try and enable me to do it long term and i'll be you know quite honest about that um, because obviously there, there may come a time where financially I would have to go back to maybe doing full-time work. That um, What we're going to do is move the pod to a subscription service. Now, don't panic. The Monday and the Friday pods are free and always will be. I am not going to change that. Um, if anybody wants to sponsor them, by the way, that would help. You may have heard we had some some uh, trouble earlier in the season there. So if anyone wishes to put some cash into the pod that way, that would be handy. But uh, the, for those of you who do want... And the reason I ask, for the, there are thousands of you listening to this who will go, I wouldn't want any more podcasts than, from you than I already get. And that's cool. But I know that me personally and certain people have asked me, I, I subscribe to certain... Uh, uh, podcast companies where you pay a, a nominal fee and then you get a daily pod and various different content and that's what we're going to do and it's going to cost one thing, $1.99 a month and you will then get you know, daily pod updates you'll get shows about the history of Rangers you'll get look backs to specific matches you'll get um, sort of live commentaries of old matches, you'll get loads and loads and loads of different things and you won't have to listen to it all obviously but you'll have the option to so uh, it's, it's not uncommon, I know that the Terrace do it, uh, Terrace podcast do it on, on uh, Patron uh, or Patreon I don't quite know how you pronounce it but uh, my apologies there for my lack of my, my lack of French ability but You'll have that option, and like I say, it'll be one ninety nine a month, and for that you'll get, I would say on average, maybe another 20, 25 hours of content per month. Entirely up to you if you want to go for it. The more of you who do it, then the more time that that gives me to do it, the more budget it gives me to do it. So in terms of, like at the moment, we can't pay for interviews, but if we could, that would obviously help things, or if I could travel to, 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 to do that sort of thing. So there you go. That's something that's coming soon. And if you can support it, please do. But if you don't want to and you're quite happy with the two pods, I promise you have my word, they will not change. You will get your Monday slash Tuesday and your Friday podcast for free forever. Um, as I say, that, that that's the plan anyway. So that's what changed. Uh, Briggs Bear, two from me. Best three games you've been to and any funny stories from meeting players or managers on your time with the RST? Okay, with best three, I mean, that's really, really, really difficult. So I'm just going to go with the first three that, that come to mind. And you could ask me on a, another day and it would be a different day. 7 0 against Hibs, uh, Christmas 95, going into 96, uh, the day Gaza got booked. It was just brilliant because we, we played fantastic. It was freezing, really, really stupidly cold. And we, we were exceptional that day. Um, and it was just, you know, tremendous. 
the and Jim Leighton was in goal for them. So ah, and he, he genuinely came off with a thousand yard stare, uh, and it, it was fantastic to know that we'd done that to him. Uh, next one would then be two thousand three, then Fernland six one, the first helicopter Sunday. Uh, for fairly obvious reasons, and then the third one would uh, would be breaking, which was the first game after uh, the white induced summer in, in twenty twelve. Just it was so surreal and it was so odd, and it, it, there were some such great moments of humour at the game. Um, yeah, the the and I just thought, you know what, we, we're going to be all right um, somehow because it was still all up in the air. I thought, yeah, somehow we will get through this because of us, you know, not because of the guys on the pitch or the guys in the or whatever, but somehow we'll get us through this. And we did. Um, and it was just feeling a part of that and and, and, and the strength of it, uh, of, of the support and the humour and the, the feelings. And, and that day was, it had everything. It was a four seasons and one day Scottish day. There was sunshine, it pissed with the rain, there were howling winds. Uh, I, I remember hail at one point, uh, and yeah, it was just a, it was a tremendous experience to to be there. And as I say, to feel part of that group, and I knew that we could not and would not let this die. And somehow, don't matter how, don't matter how long, we would dig it out. And that's why I know that there'll be a fifty-five, because we'll make it happen just through sheer bloody mindedness. We will make it happen, and we'll keep going until it's done. Um. Any funny stories from meeting players or managers on your time with the RST? Um, I, I, I think I've, I've spoken about, about quite a lot of them, but uh, I remember one time uh, it was at the, a Football Writers Player of the Year dinner. I spoke about this before, the Mummer Walter terrified Craig Levine. And I, I'm walking past the Rangers table and Ali McCoist's there. And I'm walking past him and he was Rangers assistant manager at the time. And I sort of looked at him, and you know that way they do, you catch somebody's eye, and I went, all right, Ali. And he went, all right, David. And I went, I'm a cosmos, who I am. <laughs> I swear to God, I had to go to the toilet and just hit my hard on with a spoon until it went down. So uh, that that's one that I treasure with me, and, and probably why I was far too, far too... Um, loyal to Ali in his management days because I couldn't see past him and even now and I know all the stuff and I know all the arguments and they're all correct and you know the finances and stuff and he didn't vote and all the rest of it but you know he's still Ali if he came round I'd, I'd still let him have a go in the wife I'd, I'd admit it I'd admit it um, David Young with opposition teams continually coming to Ibrox looking to waste time break up momentum spoil the game for the first minute do you think we'd benefit from introducing a multi-ball system yes I do I think it's common sense don't understand why you wouldn't do it um, although there is of course the legendary Rangers ball boys are crap I've never known a crowd who, who abuse their ball boys more than we do um, I remember one particular little lad who was referred to throughout an entire game by a gentleman an older gentleman next to me as a fat wee ninja turtle bastard which I didn't quite, you know, get the significance of, but he he certainly said it loudly and aggressively, and he was a lazy little bastard. And you do you do wonder, you know, if I was a ball boy at Ibrox, even at my age, I'd get there as quickly as I could, and they just ambled at kids. See, you people, you you people insist on having them, um, and and I blame you for our shit ball boys or you parents out there. Get take your kids on listening to this. Pause this podcast. Go out the back garden, kick a ball for miles, and make them get it. And then time them to make sure they're getting quicker. And if not, beat them and send them to bed while it's still legal to do so in Scotland. So 
uh, a wee bit of advice on training the future ball boys at Ibrox. Brian McCulloch, briefly, I'm not good at that, mate. Briefly, what are your thoughts on Malls? For me, but, but for the injury, we would have been vastly more successful, especially in Europe. He had the X factor, and in my opinion, could have been a par with Larson for us. We have a terrible tendency to romanticise the past, and you only need to look at sometimes when people say RFC legend, and it's Rangers fans doing this, you know, or legends nights, and there are guys being, and you're like, really, legend? And it's because we tend to look back on things uh, through blue-tinted spectacles, which I do understand, especially given our travails of the last few years, because... It's a psychological link to happier times. There's nothing particularly unique to us about it. Everybody does it. Um, you know, the, the, I always slag Scott because Scott's a great believer in, oh, things were better 100 years ago. You know, you had a sense of community. It's all romantic bollocks. It's like, Scott, 100 years ago with people dying from the flu, for fuck's sake. Um, but I understand why people do it because it's easier to look back to a time and, and romantically say, oh, yeah, wasn't it great then? In Moles' case, I actually think that we underrate what he could have been because that period, that opening period, was so good. And go back and watch it. Go back and look at it week by week. The goals he was scoring, the things he was doing, and the consistency of it was Laudrup-esque. And I cannot pay him a bigger compliment than that. And there was no reason... Because he seemed to be growing week by week, and there's no reason to believe that had he kept going... uninjured that he would have just continued to develop and Larson's a one where is a good comparison because you develop that reputation that then makes it easier for you to score goals and by the way I'm not saying it was easy for Larson I'm not saying that but what I'm saying is is that for a top player defenders are on the edge more than than they are and and people who are on edge make mistakes it's basic psychology and knowing that that person is in behind you panics you or, or makes you do things that you wouldn't normally do and Moggs could have got to that level he became a, a still after the injury he was a, a, a perfectly serviceable centre forward, he was good and I think that that shows you that the level of natural ability the guy had but he was great before and I think could have got better despite being 29 and it still staggers me. How the hell did that guy get to 29 years of old uh, of age before being noticed? Because he was so good. He really was sensational. And yeah, a, an utter tragedy that, that that happened to him and then that it wasn't just an injury he could get over, that it was one that, that did effectively... It didn't end his career and he went on, he won medals for us and he did well for us, but it ended, I think, his ability to be truly up there in the kind of top five of Rangers players of all time. And that was a, a real, real shame. And I suppose now, though, you just go back, watch those first three months and enjoy it because he was he was a sensational footballer. Who's your Rangers cult hero? A player you love that others don't often mention? Dan Egan. Um, and apart from that, Stuart Monroe, who uh, was, you know, when I first getting into Rangers, was in the team and I just thought he was really... I was young, remember. I just, I just thought he was uh, really, really cool. Um, looking back now, the blonde highlights, not so much. But uh, he was solid, dependable, and yeah, I, I, Stuart Monroe, that's, that, that's my, Rangers, my Rangers cult hero. And uh, things were better when we had Stuart Monroe in that Rangers team, that's just a fact. Andy uh, says, uh, can you tell us a bit more about Calgary next year, what you have planned, how it came about, that sort of thing? Thanks. 
Yes, so for those of you who don't know, I'm a convention partner next year at uh, NASA 2018, uh, where I will be, one of the, the main thing that I've planned is a live podcast, which will uh, either, which will be recorded, we don't normally record the live podcast, and will go out, um, and depending on whether or not it's technologically possible, um, we'll look at even streaming it live if possible, but uh, how much... Is libel in Canada something I can get sued for over here? Can I get lifted for things I say in Canada over? I'll need to I'll need to look into that in terms of streaming. Streaming with a delay, perhaps. And but I'll also be doing other things at the event, such as interviews with um the, the ex players or officials, interviews and chats, uh and mini sessions with guys from uh, the RSCs and from NASA, etc. And just talking to punters, and, and I'll be doing uh, little shows where, where punters will be invited to come along and we'll record that and build up a big bag. It'll be released when I get back uh, as well. How did it come about? The, the guys who organised it this year are the RSC from Calgary, and they invited me. And uh, I've never been to NASA, I'd like to go to one, obviously. Um, but with the best will in the world, that you know, I don't drink now. Um, so uh, big social events maybe don't always have the same the the same allure for me as they maybe would have had done ten years ago. On the plus, I'm not going to make an arse of myself at it either, so that helps. But uh, to be going to it and also working uh, in, in quotes, I think is 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 really ideal for me. It's absolutely perfect. So to be to be going there and rather than just be kind of sitting about, um, which I'm sure I would enjoy. But to be able to go there and you know have things to do and and have to justify my being there that, that's a big thing you know I want people to come away from that podcast thinking I'm glad they got him to come um, so I'll be I'll be working my butt off uh, while I'm there and uh, hopefully the, the people who go there will enjoy it and then people who hear the content afterwards will enjoy it and uh, come along you know by all means if you if you come along to to NASA please do um, I'm told. I haven't said I'm told it's a fantastic experience normally and I can only assume that if it's a fantastic experience normally well when I'm there Jesus I mean it's going to be the can't miss one isn't it you're going to regret not going to it so if you go to their website you'll find out the details how to book and uh, how to get on and if you do and you're a listener to the pod please come over and say hello and uh, I'll, I'll probably you know bring out the recorder and chat away to you so you might end up being on the show so that's something to to consider. Alan Thompson, what have been your best three and worst three kits of all time from Rangers? My number one is the UEFA Cup final shirt. Oh, well, the top one is the CR Smith, uh, 84 to 871. Best Rangers kit of all time. Um, nah, second, I would have the uh, one after that, the McCune's Lager kit. The uh, Ray Wilkins against Celtic 5-1 kit. And third, I would have the one before that, which was the, the blue one with the pinstripes. So you spot the 80s kid. Uh, and I actually really, I would also uh, honourable mention to the white version of it. Because I loved, and I still do, and I think it's, you know, all men are, are, are 30% autistic and um, I love symmetry. And I loved th- that kit, the, the pinstripe one. You had a blue pinstripe one for a home kit and a white, totally reversed pinstripe kit for the away one. And that's what kits should be. You should have your home kit and, and the the away kit should be the same kit, but reversed in colours or in different colours. That's the way football should be and and, uh, and will be when I'm in charge. Uh, and I make no, no apologies for that. All these fancy away kits. Kits that I haven't liked. 
Uh, an interesting one. I didn't. I really disliked. There was one, uh, an away kit in nineteen ninety five, ninety six, which was uh, a kind of Harlequin one that was red and white, um, uh, made by Adidas, and a big black badge on it that looked uncomfortable. And then it had McEwen's lager right across the centre, but they just put a patch on over it rather than work it through the material, which would have been more expensive. Um, and uh, I didn't really like it. And Liverpool had the same kit in green and white, funnily enough. And uh, yeah, and again, they had the same thing with the sponsor, just plastered across it, and it didn't look good. Even though it was an Adidas kit, um, and Adidas usually do usually do decent kits, but I didn't, I didn't really like that one. Uh, but an interesting thing is uh, they decided to make those kits, but that Rangers one in particular... Um, Adidas subcontracted it out to a textile firm and this textile firm my dad worked for and the factory for it was in Kilwinning so they decided yep, to make Rangers kits in Kilwinning well there were I would suggest there, there were people going in to that factory in the morning a size you know small and coming out at night a size double XL with the amount of kits that they had on under the under the top. And everybody in Kilwinning two weeks later was running about in this Rangers top that wasn't due out for about another eight weeks. Uh so God knows how many Adidas might have recorded selling a hundred thousand, but trust me they made two hundred and fifty thousand of these things. But just what a fantastic idea. We're gonna make Rangers Rangers kits in Kilwinning in an easily broken into factory. Um, it, it was fantastic that uh, everybody, everybody in Kilwinnon, you know, you, you would walk into the Victoria pub and there would be like 45 people drinking and 43 of them would have won a Rangers kit and the other two would have won the Liverpool one. Um, uh, even though it was green and white, it was free and that, that, that did trump. Uh, that did trump, I think. So, yeah, uh, some summer that in Kilwinnon. I didn't like that one. Other two, really didn't like the one, the, the the first NTL one, if you remember, where it was like every kit is slightly different. And uh, it was the 2000 and, and, uh, 2003 kit. Uh, I really I really didn't like that, the kind of Arteta kit. Uh, I, I thought it looked like a Falkirk top. Didn't like that at all. And then uh, we've had some horrors under Puma, but I would say the worst one was that daft one with the wee buttons that, that didn't button anything on the collar. Um, which would be the first championship season. Uh, so that that would be be my three worst one. Greg Cunningham. Hi, David. Great pod. Like that. Steve Wright-esque. Good way to get your question asked. Do you feel your changing relationship with alcohol has augmented your love of Rangers football? Oh, wow. Fuck, that's, a, that's one. Um, hmm. Do I feel... <sighs> if you drank the way that I drank... This is going to get a little bit kind of um, the Mori Povich, so I apologise for that in advance. But my entire life was sort of based around getting fucked up, and everything I did was to, towards that end. So you know, getting a job was to get money to, to to get drunk. Being in a relationship was cool, but it was still about you know, great, I can go out and socialise. It was always about that. That's what my life, you know, my life was was like, and that that's cool. That that's who I was. Um. And I would say that, that certainly football does play into that because it's a great social occasion. It's an excuse to go to the pub on match days. It's an excuse to go to the pub to watch a match through the week when it's on TV, especially Club Rangers, when it's always on. And you, 
it goes together with it and it's and in Scotland in particular it's such a good social excuse you know why are you in this state I was at the game and that 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 should cover it um there were times where it was it, it was against the, the, my interest in football because there'd be times you know I'd be at the game I couldn't remember what had happened um I mean I I was I remember one game I went into um and I, I was in I used to drink in the Neptune before the game and various other things um and I, I was just so so drunk I mean really just barely able to talk and I won the the raffle in the, in the Neptune which was a for, I was second in the raffle and I won a half bottle of vodka and I decided what I would do would I'd be I'd smuggle it in but I would then buy a Diet Coke, tip some of it out, pour this half bottle of vodka in and uh and then go to the and then, and then go into the game. Um and I thought that this would be that this would be a cracking idea. So I did that and then I was drinking it, you know, through the game and I'd stand, I was sitting on my own at the time. Uh, <laughs> thankfully. And I was I was sitting on my own uh in in the govern rear. And I was holding this plastic cup for Diet Coke and vodka. And I, I must have squeezed the cup a bit too hard. And it just all shot out in this torrent all over this the, the, this woman in front of me. And she, she was quite she was quite upset about this. And I decided in my sort of um uh, alcoholic haze that I would I would dry her by patting her hair down. If anything, though, this just seemed to make her more upset. So I tried to apologise, but I, I, I couldn't speak. So I sort of ran off and I thought, I know. And I went into one of the toilets and, and closed the door. I went into one of the cubicles and had a cry. Um, so I do cry at the football sometimes. And fell asleep. And then I woke up about 50 minutes later when everybody came in for half time and then just got up and went back to the pub. So... It, it, it's not healthy from that point of view. And then when I sobered up, uh, and I mean full time, and and decided not, not to drink or to take any any substances anymore. Because, I mean, that, that was another thing. I mean, I would go out for a game on a Wednesday night and due to being supercharged, literally get back home on the Friday. And since then, my, my relationship with football has been a lot calmer um, and I enjoy it more. Um, and believe it or not, people say, "Oh, you you must need a drink." And you're like, "Nah." I mean, sometimes when, when things are bad with Rangers, the last thing I need would be would be to tack a drink onto that one. Um, but I enjoy actually the 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 sport and the game more. I've always been a football nerd now, but uh, before, but now especially, um, I really do enjoy just just watching the game. And different to Rangers, I mean, Rangers is my team, and I watch it in a different way. But just you know, sport from our football from other countries that I do enjoy um, just watching. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think I'm a better fan now in that I stay for the whole game and I don't need to get up for a piss every five minutes. So I think I'm a better fan in the sense that I'm less annoying than that. But what I will say is, is that when I was drinking and when I was doing other things, I think that that was very important through the trust because it gave me that sense. You know, I, I mean, I was in my twenties, I was supercharged. I, I didn't think anyone could stop me. 
Um, and I think that that was important that I just thought, you know, I've, I, I can take on the world here. Um, and, and all joking aside, one thing about booze or other things or me or whatever, it's never dulled or dimmed my love for Rangers. You know, I love Rangers as much now as I did when I was first introduced to it when I was five. And, and it just, it's it's never changed. Uh, and it grows, if anything, it gets it gets more and it gets, uh, it gets stronger and it gets bigger every year. But I think that during that time, um, and a lot of it's to do with my personal, you, you know, you try and uh, attach yourself to a cause and there was such passion involved in it, um, which is obviously exacerbated when you're when you're in certain states, that that was important. And I think that it did help me at times to, in terms of having a thick skin or the, the ability to, to do stuff that, that maybe I wouldn't and you know what it's like when you're in your 20s and, and as you get older and you get a bit calmer and a bit more reflective I'd like to think that that um, the passion is still there but I maybe can can channel it a little better uh, than I did back then and, and maybe a wee bit more helpfully and maybe if I no maybe if I had been able to think a bit clearer at times then I think that maybe I would have made better decisions when it came to stuff that I did for the trust but again a lot of that was to do with age and, and immaturity as much as anything else uh, I, I think but uh, yeah I mean at, at the end of the day it was uh, it was it's who I am and uh, it played a part in my life and now it doesn't and uh, yeah so hopefully you know, I'm still, you're still listening after all that to the next question. But uh, I always, I the one thing I can promise you guys is that we're honest and that I'm honest on here. So if somebody asks me a question, you'll get the honest answer. You don't get the, uh, you, you don't get the what I would like you to hear answer. That's the one thing I can always promise you is that everything you hear on this show comes from the heart, and that will never change. Uh, George Gilmer from the Ranger Strikers you have seen play live which attributes would you piece together for them to create the ultimate striker well, that's a good one um, Negri's movement uh, Ali's instinct and knowing where to be at any given point Moses' touch I think would, would be one Haley's physical strength and attitude uh, towards the 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 opposition defenders, um, Yelovich's first or, or sorry ability to t- to take it early, Yelovich's uh, ability to to react almost while everyone's thinking about what he's going to do, uh, I thought he was terrific at that of just doing things off the cuff and on instinct and and with a first time finish, whereas maybe other people would have looked looked for a second one, and Rod Wallace's work rate because there was a guy who who just would not stop. And I think if you put all of that together, you would have one hell of a player. Stephen Harrigan. What was such an uber-staunch man like yourself doing at Titanic in the first place? A lot of people from a certain place drowned. I thought that was obvious. And when's the last time you cried at a movie? Oh, God. Uh, I'm not really a huge movie watcher, believe it or not. I'm more of a box set guy, and I think that I find films difficult to watch now because what can you do in two hours that... Is going to be satisfying as something you can do in a, a well-told story over ten. Um, oh Christ! Years and years and years and years and years ago, probably going back to uh, Shawshank Redemption, end of the Shawshank Redemption, I cried. Um, I remember that. Uh, I also cried at the end of Lord of the Rings, but that's because, as previously touched on, I, I, I 
I like to drink and it would not fucking end no matter how you, oh, Jesus Christ my wife wanted to go and at one point I did stand up uh, and it was in the Odeon in Renfield Street and it's still there I actually just stood up at one point and shouted, Will this end? Because it was, I mean, for oh Christ, what a terrible, terrible, you know, homosexual midgets walking about with a bit of fucking jewellery that they need to chuck into a mountain. You know, that, that best said by Randall and Clerks too, that movie's so fucking boring, even the trees are trying to run away in it. Uh, but that was for totally, totally different reasons. Um, Rob McEachran, you can have any one player from our history, excluding Hall of Famers, to come in and improve our team right now. Who would it be and why? Whoa, excluding Hall of Famers is a tough one because, especially lately, we put everybody into the Hall of Fame. I think if you if you manage a few games that uh, that you go in, um, and therefore a player that would make a real difference to the team. To come in, I think would would be difficult, but I'll probably see Rod Wallace. I don't think Rod Wallace is in the Hall of Fame. And apologies if he is, but if not, then yeah, Rod Rod Wallace would would do a good would do a good job for us at the moment. Uh, Stuart Philpot, with your dad being Northern Irish, will you support them at the World Cup? Fuck yes, of course. Uh, uh, support Northern Ireland when they're playing any match because I know how happy it makes my old man as I say I don't really follow international football particularly closely but uh, I you know I watch watch the, the big NI games with him and uh, as I say I know how happy my cousin's journalist in Northern Ireland and he follows them uh, all over the place and I know he had one hell of a good summer there so yes absolutely come on every country uh, get it done Cameron Bell how did this get slapped? I'm going to order with the secretary. Um, surely we should just bite the bullet and get Malky Mackay to replace at Scott Hart and Hand. Cammy, I don't really think we need any more fat racists. We seem covered in that that department. Graham Robb, uh, David, what did you do for a living? Uh, any life lessons from balancing a career and a passion from RFC? Yes, if you want to um, <laughs> advance in your career, it's probably not best to be known as uh, as the kind of face of, of the Rangers support for a while. Um, and even, as I say, a double X level, uh, a double X list celebrity, uh, or double Z list, double X, that's no. Obviously, thinking about something else, double Z-list celebrity um, can be detrimental to it because it can be quite awkward. Where you know you, you, you're going into, especially in a client-facing business as I had, when clients in Scotland obviously may have been born wrong and support a different team, and you've been on the telly the night before uh, or on the radio the night before criticising uh, their very existence. So uh, there's there's a piece of advice. What did I do before? I worked for ten. I, I, what in uh, I did a degree at uni in English and modern history um, because uh, I was good at it. But a degree in in the arts is, to be honest, as much use in terms of a job as conceptual fucking tap dancing. So I uh, kind of I thought, well, I need to do something, and I fell into recruitment consultancy, uh, which I hated from the minute I got into it. But I was good at it, and you could make a, a lot of money at it. I did it for ten years, and I, I like I say, I, I mean, I literally hated every day in it. But uh, I made a lot of money, which was good because I spent a lot of money at the time due to the previously discussed lifestyle. And uh, when everything, you know, basically my life exploded one summer, uh, deservedly, and that's when, you know, I stopped drinking, got divorced, lived, found a new place to live, all that kind of thing. And I thought, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't do another 30 years of this. And I'd always been interested in um, uh, web because I'd worked for a, 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 a well-known recruitment website and I, I'd got interested in the technical side of that and from that I decided I'm going to change careers, 
take a drop in money to, to start off with and that's what I did and I worked in um, web publishing, got to know that, got to know uh, uh, HTML, um, web publishing, web content development, all those sort of things and then I moved into social media, digital marketing, so you know, making content, video, podcasts, um, content for websites and for social programs and, and that's kind of what I did and slash do. So if you need any help with that, if anyone wants any help promoting their business or whatever, very, very reasonable rates. I, I was a contractor many for many um, organisations. I, I can sort that, that sort of thing out for you. Just get in touch and I'll, I'll do my best um, for you. Uh, Town for business. And, I, and for having asked the question, I suppose I, I, I owe Graham uh, about a tenor. But I remember... Um, when I was working for one particular recruitment company, a certain chairman of a certain football club got in touch with them to say, shut that prick up, I'm getting annoyed with him. Um, and my boss called me in and said, you know, he's a very powerful man, David. And I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> and they were like, well, you know, you can't really be going about saying this. And I said, well, we have a problem then because I can't not say it. Uh, and they said, well, you know, we, we, and I said, well, it's like this. If you fire me because David Murray has essentially told you to do so uh, or he won't give you any business, then, you know, I'll sue you, I'll sue him and I'll be all over the media talking about it. And, of course, they back down. But it does harm your chances for promotion. So if you're going to do it, do it in a far more clever way than I did it would be my advice. Al Bundy Loyal, if you'd been a decent player as a youth, I'll have you know that I was. Um, again, just discovered beer when I was 14. Um, would you have signed for them if they came sniffing around your day of morals? No, I wouldn't have. And it's easy for me to say, and I absolutely understand it, and anyone listening to this goes, it's easy for you to say, you are correct. For the simple reason being that it is very, very easy to, to sit here as someone who was never capable of, of playing at that level to say what would happen but that's who I am I was never a footballer who had those opportunities and therefore as a fan uh, I can say hand on heart that I would honest to God I would rather put my willy in a blender than my signature on a Celtic contract so I'm sure they wouldn't have wanted to have me either so it works out, it works out well although that team they had back then in the early 90s I probably could have got a game for while I was at school and half cut um, but no and and to to prove or in other words to show you that I'm, I'm not totally hypocritical about it my dad takes my nephew to football my nephew's nine the goalkeeper and he said there was a scout from Celtic down tonight and I swear to God I just froze on the spot and I looked at him and he went, no, no, don't worry. And I'm like, can he take him to, to that training if there's going to be scouts from sales? It, it can he, it can he happen. He's a goalkeeper and, uh, you know, I'm going to have to injure his hand and I don't want to have to do that if, if that comes to pass. I mean, it genuinely filled me with horror the, when that happened. So, yeah, not for me. Ross Manson, Jose or Pep at Rangers. Thanks for that, Ross. I wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't have known that's what you meant otherwise. Uh, I was a huge Mourinho fan for years, but he's kind of you know that walking about with a uh, with a face like a slapped fanny the last couple of years has kind of put me off. It's like you're, you're in a great job, you're in the job you always wanted. Just, just you know, have a diet coke and a smile and fuck up. And uh, Pep at least seems to have a bit of verve to him, and the football he plays is magnificent. So I would go with Pep now. Although as I say, I did really strongly admire Mourinho for years, and foolish to write him off at this point. But his attitude the last few years, I, I think he's going through the male menopause, to be honest. Uh, Stu, 
Um, why are you so good? Oh, uh, I don't know. I'm just wonderful uh, mix of, of uh, charm, cockiness and uh, looks, I, I, I suppose. Um, good parent. That's the reason. Anything that I've got. Because I'm a lazy bastard, so uh, anything that I have is natural. It was given to me. It's instinctive. Uh, anything that so if any of you are listening to this and you think oh David's good at that show then it, it comes from my parents because I've, I've never worked on anything in my life um, Neil are you concerned by the apparent lack of succession planning since progress should that not have been the DOF first task yeah that's a legitimate point they might not have known when Pedro was going to be fired but they had to have been thinking for a while that he might be and you would have thought that there would be plans in place to be ready to go. And we may find out by the time this pod comes out, you never know that the reason for the delay was X. But yeah, I, I do find that a lot odd. And I don't know exactly what the, the DOF's duties are. And I suppose only the club do so. Who knows? It may not have been top of his priorities list. And I do know the way that things run at, at Ibrox is decisions of that magnitude are taken by one man. That's not to say that um, Dave King walks in and says, this is who the new manager is. He might be given a list, but the person who will decide who the new Rangers manager is, is Dave King. Um, he may do it off a list that Mark Allen comes up with. He may do it off a list that Stuart Robertson comes up with. But at the end of the day, neither Robertson nor Allen can appoint a Rangers manager. One guy can. And um, you would have thought, yes, that there was pl um, planning in place. And there may have been for all we know, because certainly Dave King is known at Ibrox for maybe not rushing to a decision. I think that's the way the guy is. He, he likes to weigh up everything and, and then go with you know what he feels is the right decision. So for all we know, uh, a list was plunked down on his desk the day after and he's made the decision from, from there on in. Uh, or he's currently making the decision, I don't know. Or they could be waiting for someone. So time, time will tell. It's a little unfair. But you would have hoped that, yes, there would have been succession planning in place. Uh, there always should be. You should always have names um, on a list. I mean, Arsenal have got names on a list. They'll never frigging go to it, but they have a list. Uh, although it gets updated a lot because it's been so long. Uh, I think some of the, the, the up-and-coming young names on it are like A.D. Boothroyd, Alex McLeish, after having a, had a good season at Rangers, you know. So, uh, but yeah, you should always have that in place, any business. Uh, Scott, he says, uh, oh, this is not our Scott, Scotia, 80. Um, what's your favourite teenage fan club album? Songs from Northern Britain. My favourite teenage fan club album. Funnily enough, I met my, my former brother-in-law, uh, who was one of them, uh, he was a huge Teenage Fan Club fan, as was my ex-wife, and we used to go to all their gigs in Glasgow. I think I've seen the fannies about 20 times. And we went to... They played the garage one night, and then after it, uh, Jerry from the band was, was upstairs and he was drinking on his own. And my brother-in-law was a bit starstruck and bluttered, so I wandered over. I was like, oh, my brave, I love you guys. You know, can you sign this? You know, he was really cool. But uh, he finally enough said to me, he said, are you that guy from the Rangers Trust? <laughs> oh, fuck. Aye. And uh, he just wanted to talk about football. And it was really funny because me and him are talking away about football. And uh, my brother-in-law wanted to talk about amps. <laughs> you know, what guitar did she use on that song? And Jerry was a phenomenally nice man. And he was just yapping away about football. He was just a really good guy. Um, and he was he, he's my favourite of the four uh, when, it, when it comes to writing. Um, although I've interviewed Norman when I used to run a, a music blog. And he was a really cool guy as well. 
Gary Percival, uh, I know it was inevitable. What's your thoughts on Ryan Jack being booed by his own support? This should have been one of the proudest moments of his career, yet it's overshadowed because the Tartan Army, along with all supporters of Scottish clubs, hate our club. If you believe... This is difficult because this is where politics start to intrude onto Scottish football and things like independence and whatnot start to start to impinge. And, um, within the Tartan Army, the, I don't think it's unfair to say there's a large preponderance of the people who, who are in the Tartan Army who are uh, pro-independence, which is perfectly fine. But because of that, we are set up as, as we are clearly a club where a large element of our support are not, we are set up as a sort of bogeyman. And a large part of the independence movement is the idea of Scottish exceptionalism. Um, and you hear that a lot from, you know, we're not basically, we're not like the English, we don't vote Tory is one of the things that they say, you know, we're more caring. If you believe in that, and if you believe in Scottish exceptionalism, if you are a patriotic Scot, if you believe in any sort of nationalism, even benign nationalism, where you are just a fan of your country, and you think that you are good, then you believe in a, a strain of, of exceptionalism. That's what you do. We do it as fans. I believe that Rangers fans are better fans than other people, uh, than other supporters. That's exceptionalism at work. You then completely fuck up your ability to to play that card that we are more caring, that we are better, when you exclude people from your society, or in this case, from your group. And that's what the Tartan Army do with Rangers supporters, and that's what they did last night with Ryan Jack. Well, they said, we don't want you an element of the Tartan Army. I'm being unfair because there were people booing, but there were people applauding. So I am being unfair. So for any Rangers supporters or Tartan Army members there, I apologise. That was, I misspoke, um, as, as Bill Clinton would say. But to the people who do the booing and who think that way and who don't want anything to do with Rangers, then yes, you are completely pissing on your point um, of that you are different from other people and somehow better and that the Tartan Army are somehow better when you do exclusion of anyone based on anything, whether it's based on race, religion, or uh, the idea of who they play for. And there is a religious element built, built in with the Rangers thing, and let's not pretend or, or kid ourselves that that's not the case. So it's embarrassing, it's shameful, and it's pathetic, and the people involved in it are not only pretty much kind of dregs of the earth humans, but they're also lowest common denominator scum bigots and it's as simple as that if you hate people because of any reason that's other than their murderers or paedophiles right legitimate reasons if you hate them for or a rapist whatever you know terrible people who've done terrible things if you hate genuinely hate people because they they play for a different football team then you're a scumbag if you hate people genuinely because you know, and you can't put it aside when you're supposed to be coming together. You're a scumbag. You know, Rangers fans in the Tartan Army cheer when Lee Griffiths scores. They can dislike him during the 90 minutes of a football match, but they put it aside because they've got a bit of class. And if you can't do it, you completely destroy, as I say, your own point of the was like us argument. So that's my take on it. Uh... Chris says, Forza Rangers, I love the replacements. How come Husker do's reverb middens leave me cold? Because you need to have your ears waxed. Husker do are great. The replacements are, I would say, slightly better, but Husker do are magnificent. And uh, there's plenty of tunes in there as well. Listen to warehouse songs and stories. I agree the production is a bit dated, but it's still a great album. 
Okay. Uh, Craig, with the departure of Pedro, what do you feel is the future for his signings as Rangers players, particularly matching Portuguese contingent, will they leave come January? Personally, hope Kandea stays. There's absolutely no reason at all Kandea should be going. He's doing well and the fans love him. So I wouldn't, you know, I'd be very surprised if he if he wanted to go simply because it was a change of manager because that happens all over the world. The Mexican boys, I don't think, have settled particularly well and may wish, you know, Glasgow in the winter when you're not enjoying yourself or Mexico... I could kind of see if a loan deal was available why it might appeal to all parties. Blue Coat Neil, what happened with Matt Mackay? Uh, why did he not fa- uh, feature much? And why has the LM been such a problem for us in recent years? Well, there are less, you know, obviously there are less left-sided players available. You've got a smaller, um, you've got a, a smaller pool that that you are um, that you are sh- that you are sort of looking in, and. Then again, when you then come to our level of league, the pool is even smaller. So you may struggle to find someone who's you know significantly good. And you're right, it is a problem for us, but it's a problem for I mean, England for years. Remember, they used to, to try and play Paul Scholes out there. It was they, they just couldn't get a good left-sided player. Mackay was in right. I just don't think he got a chance. Um, Ali, for whatever reason, didn't fancy him, and I, we we can't we can't say whether he would have been good, bad, or indifferent. Certainly. Some of the players that were used, you would have thought that he was worth a goal, but yeah, he never. Uh, some once I broke that I remember him. He maybe played more, and I thought he did all right, but never, never seen or heard from him again. He was small, and I wonder if that Ali being a bit of a traditionalist that way maybe maybe lies too wee for this league. Um, Mr. McT, is there a better live album in existence than the Ramones' "It's Alive"? No, there isn't, but uh, "Stand in the Fire" by Warren Zevon is is up there. Simon, um, what were you laughing at 20 years ago this week? Uh, the uh, Montreal screw job, Brett, Brett screwed Brett. And who do you think the managerial appointment process is taking longer than it really should be? Again, the only thing I can think of is that uh, the, the, the two criteria is they're waiting for someone for whatever reason or that they're prevaricating over the decision. Um Grantisan, will Dave King still be involved this time next year? Yes, he will. In what context? I don't know, but it'll be Dave King would need to be removed. So even if Dave King isn't chairman or whatever, then Dave King will still be involved, influenced while the board is in its current incarnation and while power rests with the people that it rests with. So while he may not have an official title, while there may be court led things or, or whatever that may change that, he will still have a position at Ibrox. Uh, and a wee cue at the end of the pod from Doogie in your opinion what's the deadliest item found in the house Uh, this refers to my concussion suffered by being hit in the head by a big bloody brass clock earlier this week Uh, I I wouldn't say that's the deadliest item in my house because she collects all sorts of uh, killable crap and she's got this French clock that's like 200 years old and apparently worth a fortune Um, and this thing is massive and if it fell on me I'd be dead I mean, it would it would be dead. But yeah, if you come to my house, we, we have two. Um, we live in this old sort of recently moved to this old um, townhouse. I think it was built uh, late nineteenth century, early twentieth century. And if you go into one room, it looks as though Hercule Poirot will be in the corner with a snifter, and that's Sally's room, and it's all you know, crystal and And if you come to my room, it's all you know signed pictures of Brian Loudrup and Star Wars shit and, you know, a big F off telly and, you know, so there is a difference in in sort of mentality, but you you can see the two sides of it in the house. Um, Don't come to the house, so you you know my views on that. But, uh, yeah, so the other other deadliest item in the house is is, 
our youngest dog, Daisy, who yesterday I found... Well, I, I didn't find, I got a phone call uh, from the train station saying she'd somehow managed to get out through the back garden and walk along the, trains, the, the train line without being massacred. So how she managed that, I have no idea, but uh, she's lethal and uh, has a tendency to stand on your nuts uh, at all points. Okay then, folks, I have uh, rabbited on for a while today and I think that's a combination of so many questions, so many great questions, and I'm sorry that we couldn't get to all of them. And also the fact that I'm quite high on a number of, of over-the-counter and prescribed drugs, um, which which does lead to me, to me wittering on a bit. And it's the bit at the end of the pod where it's almost become... You know, you could call it a tradition, you could call it a cliche where I ramble on for a little bit about, you know, how much I love the chairs and how much it matters to me. And on the one hand, there's a little bit of me that's reluctant to do that because uh, there may be an element of it sounding false or contrived. And it's not contrived. Because it's expected doesn't mean it's contrived. Um, but I can understand that maybe after a while people would be saying, ah, he just does this and uh, it doesn't really mean anything. But it does because... The reason that I do it is at the end of the show, I actually feel quite emotional because you, you try talking about something you love for an hour and or an hour and a bit in, in, in this instance, and you'll find that, that I bet it leaves you slightly drained and, and, and very emotional, and, that, and it does for me. And the reason that I do it is that on this show, the, Rangers, the words of Rangers family are never more, never more appropriate because, firstly, this is a show that is entirely a guy and his friends talking about something they love to people that are their brothers in arms because they love it too and because we've such a huge connection to each and every one of you who listen to this show because of that shared interest. This is not that we're all into you know, a hobby that we all like to, to, to go to the climbing centre or whatever, not that there's anything wrong with that, but just it's such a huge part of our lives that it instantly creates a bond and a relationship between those of us who are on the show and those of you who listen. And that's why we try to communicate with you on social media as often as possible and, and we try to get back to everyone who gets in touch with us. That's part of that. Being a Rangers fan is more than following a football club. It's it's more even than people say things, oh, it's a lifestyle and whatnot. And, and while there's an element of truth to that, th- there's more to it than that. It isn't easy, and especially now, it isn't easy. It isn't cool. It isn't trendy. Um, it, it, it's not a gang you join because, you know, you're, you're going <laughs> to... You're going to get cool points. It's, it's a gang you join because you have to. And... By that, I mean not not that that you're forced, but you you've got no choice. It's a calling. It's it's something that 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 you can't put your finger on, and that's maybe why I get a little bit stuttery at the end of these shows. Because how do you explain it? It's something that you feel somewhere in your soul that you couldn't put into words, that you couldn't put down on paper accurately, that you couldn't even describe. But the best bit of the community and the family is that you don't have to and I don't have to you know what I'm talking about and you might not be able to put it into words either but you know what I'm talking about because you can feel it inside and that's 
the importance of being a Rangers fan. I spoke about it earlier in that match with Breakin when I knew we were going to be alright. And it's why I know that we are going to be alright and successful. Because us, the Rangers support, we will not let it happen. We will not let Rangers fail. We will have days when we get knocked down. But they won't be as bad as ones we've had before. They just won't. They won't be as bad as the Ibrox disaster. They won't be as bad as the day we went into admin. They won't ever be as bad as those days or the days that the Spivs sat on an island and laughed at us. Everything terrible has happened to us. So that's what our detractors don't get. It's like, you might win the league for five years. Fine, we won't win the league for five years, but we only need to win it once. That's the thing, to be back. To be back to where we belong. And then... We're a snowball rolling down a hill. We just pick up momentum. We just pick up new people and new fans and new generations and we keep going and we we look back the way at the people who've come before us and we keep looking forward at the people who are gonna who are gonna try and stop us and we knock them out of the way one by one. Because we are Rangers supporters, we are fans of the biggest club in the world. We are more than that. We are part of the biggest club in the world. We keep this club great. And as long as we are here, as long as we are together, and as long as we are as one, nothing, nothing can stop us. And that's why I know with certainty that we are going to get back to where we belong. And like I say, sometimes in the journey we'll rant, we'll rave, we'll get angry. Sometimes we'll all meet up, be it physically at a ground, be it meet up in podcast land and we'll chat about it and we'll be angry and we'll shout and swear. But we'll pick ourselves up and we'll go again because we are Rangers supporters. We are the best supporters in the world. We support the greatest institution in the world. It's never going to change. And one day... When someone, whoever that captain may be, maybe a guy that's in the squad right now, maybe somebody that's in the the reserves right now, maybe somebody that's coming through the ranks right now, I don't know. But one of these days, one of them is going to wave that bit of silver at us and we're going to turn around and we're going to hug the guy next to us and we're going to high-five the lady next to us and we're going to say, we fucking did this. We deserve this. We are the people. Thank you very much for listening to me. My name's David Edgar and I'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.